1: Hello, and welcome to the Bobby podcast. My name is Bobby Kazmaier. And for the last two years, I've been sharing my story in eating disorder recovery, showing the wins, the losses, the good days, the bad days, the ups, the downs of recovery, being authentic and vulnerable on this podcast on TikTok on Instagram, trying to make eating disorder recovery talk less taboo, trying to destigmatize it, especially for guys, just because I'm a guy. And I know that when I was deep in struggling, I didn't feel like I could talk to anyone about it. I felt really alone. So the goal of this is just make everyone feel less alone about their own struggles to show that you're not alone if you are struggling with food and body image. Um, There's no diet culture talk on here. There's no weight loss talk on here. There are no numbers on here. Um, Everything is real and authentic. And I just want to help others and make you feel less alone if you're struggling. Um, I just recently got my degree in nutrition, uh, my undergraduate degree. It's just a crazy pipeline going from eating disorder to nutrition degree, but I, I wouldn't trade my story for the world, my journey for the world. I feel like this happened to me for a reason. And that reason is to help others in their own recovery and their own struggles. I'm not a professional yet. Um, but that is the ultimate goal, but I'm just sharing my own story. And I really want to thank you for listening because none of this would be possible without you and thank you. And I hope you enjoy the episode. Our guest this week on the Bobby Podcast is Mary Jelkovski, the one and only from Mary's cup of tea on social media. This conversation we had was probably one of my favorites I've ever recorded. I, I really think it's just because this felt like the most like a conversation out of all podcasts I've ever I've ever recorded with someone else um it was just like it just felt really natural and it's really interesting too we talked about this um in the beginning of the episode but it's always interesting or cool talking to like someone who I looked up to in the social media space like Mary's one of them and I remember or well I told her at the beginning of this episode that my class last semester we watched a documentary that she was in and like I knew who she was and I thought it was really cool that like she somehow knew who I was and so we talked about that it's just I don't know it's just always cool to just talk to someone like that, and. I mean, in this episode, we talked about an abundance of things. Like, like obviously, of course, we talked about her, uh, her journey, uh, her eating disorder recovery journey, and how she was able to do that without treatment. That's something that we have in common, so that was uh, very interesting, of course, to talk about with her. We also talked about, you know, just social media in general, the whole burnout, and if she gets burned out, being so transparent all the time online, uh, and also had not be so focused on the numbers of social media because that's something that is very prevalent in my life and she talked about in this episode how she hasn't grown on Instagram, you know, follower-wise in a couple of years, which is, you know, that could really take a toll on a lot, on a lot of people, but she, but she talks about how she's able to overcome that and not really focus on the numbers too much. We also talk about her experience giving a TED Talk. That's something that's really incredible. Like I feel like every time you you look at uh, or you see someone, you know, on a TED Talk, you you think they're a pretty well put together person and she's obviously no um She's no different here she's we talked about her experience doing that how fun that was we also get into a conversation about her newest book uh 100 days of self-love it's a guided journal um i got my copy in the mail a couple weeks ago um i will leave the link in that uh to that book uh in the description below along with all of mary's socials again she's at mary's cup of tea on TikTok, Instagram. She also has the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, which I also was a guest on. So whenever that comes out, uh, please be ready for that because that was another great conversation. Um, Yeah. So I hope you enjoy this episode because I had a lot of fun recording it and talking to Mary. So enjoy the episode. Hi, Mary.
0: Hey, Bobby. Thanks for having me on.
1: Absolutely, thank you for joining me. It's actually so crazy. I know I we talked we talked about this uh, before we recorded the episode on your podcast. So listen to that just as a little you know public uh, service announcement. Listen to that when that comes out. But we were talking before how last semester in one of my classes we watched a video, and you were in it. It was a documentary. It was called um, Behind the Before and After. It was all about body image and you know eating disorder recovery and things of that nature and it's just like it's like a full circle moment it's like really cool that I'm now like talking to you and like cuz i remember like when i watched i watched it in like november so i already knew who you were and we were already like you know mutuals on social media it was like holy shit like i know who that is and like she's awesome and it's just like so cool to like now be able to talk to you like this so i that was a, that was an amazing documentary um so thank you for your work on that and oh, it's cool to be talking to you that's now. really
0: cool We got to send this to Lauren and Jenna because they're, you know, they were the creators of this documentary and the connectors, but I must know, did you watch it on like a big projector screen, like in a lecture hall?
1: Yes, it was like I think it was like maybe seventy students in this lecture hall, and yeah, the oh big screen. So yeah, and it's it's cool too because uh, a couple of my friends also know who you are, and they're like, oh, I love I love Mary, like she's she's one of my favorite creators. Uh, so it was it was really cool to to watch you talk uh, in like a longer uh, form of content. So what was that like though? Like what was like? Do you? I know it was like a couple of years back, but do you like remember like the process of what that was like?
0: truthfully I didn't realize that it was for this like really um, impactful film because they asked me to just do an interview like this Mm. so I came on like I I think I was just like chilling in my sweatpants and then they asked me a couple questions and they said it was for a documentary but I didn't realize they were going to like produce it into this film and I did not know that it was going to be shown on college campuses and the thought of my little face being blown up on a projector is making me very shy but I'm very grateful for that opportunity.
1: Wow, so you so you had no idea it was going to be this like big thing. That's I feel like they would like mention that to you.
0: <laughs> I mean, maybe they did and I I didn't know, but I need to circle back to that whole email thread because yeah. I didn't realize. And then people started like tagging me in it and everything. And I was, uh, I was a little blown away by, by the feedback. So what they've created has been very uh, extraordinary.
1: Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Shout out to Jenna and Lauren, cause they, they do amazing work as well. Um, so yeah, that's amazing. So, um, so circling back to you. What is, I've always been curious, where, what is the origin of Mary's cup of tea? Like, how did that name just come to terms? Did you just think of it on the fly one day or did it just you think long and hard? Like, like, what was the, what was the process of that?
0: Uh, It came after a long identity crisis. And I'm so glad you asked because most people, most people don't ask this, but I feel like it just gives like a nice little synopsis as to like where I was at at this point in my life and, and kind of what I do now. So, First of all, I'm my culture is Russian. My whole family are Jewish refugees from Russia. So tea was just such a big part of my life all the time. Like we do tea time multiple times a day. You cannot leave my house without having a cup of tea. I've invited male men inside to have a cup of tea. Like it's very, you know, culturally rich, kind of, um experience to share with people so i've always loved tea um i wouldn't say i had a passion for it but it was like the staple in my life so when i was going through eating disorder recovery and i was stuck in this like binge and restrict cycle and i um had just started living alone when i went to college and everything just felt chaotic both mentally and in my environment and after every single binge i would have a cup of tea and this was just like a nightly ritual. It was the only thing that would calm me down. Um, It was the only thing that made me feel like things are okay. I don't know if anybody watches the Bing Bang Theory, and I'm sorry if I get canceled for this because it's not a PC show, but Sheldon in that show, like anytime somebody's sad, he's like, do you want a hot beverage? <laughs> and that's exactly how I feel about tea. Like a hot beverage just makes things feel like they're going to be okay. And when I was quote unquote, rebranding. And what I mean by that is I used to have a fitness blog when I was like 15, 16, 17, I was competing in bodybuilding competitions. My username was Mary sky fitness, which sounds like a porn star name. Um, (laughs) and I, I'm not proud of that time of my life, but I essentially had to like drop this fitness identity. And I know you get this as a content creator, but like what you put in your bio, like your username, like that thing that you're going to be known for, like it, it can make you a little bit, you know, tense and it's so, it's such a big part of you. It's like symbolic of, um, how people are are going to perceive you and what you're going to be about moving forward. So I was stuck on my like Instagram website, blog name for a really long time before I was like, what if it was Mary's cup of tea? And I dabbled in like trying to sell tea. I ordered some samples from India, but then all the tea stuff overwhelmed me so I I didn't go that far but I kept the website name and I also like how people say like that's my cup of tea like it's like a collection of things I like so
1: oh okay so when did you make the switch to Mary's cup of tea like around like what year
0: it was 2018 which I know in my podcast you mentioned that was a big year for you as well which is interesting because I'm a little bit older than you but in 2018 I had, maybe it was like 2017. Actually, no, it was January 1st, 2018. It was when I published my first blog post, like a literal blog post back when that was a thing. And I essentially wrote out my whole story about like my eating disorder and how much I was struggling with binge eating, which was the heart of my eating disorder that was most shame filled. Mm-hmm. And I wrote this like long blog post that I published on my website. And then I shared it on Facebook and like to some of the fitness people that were still lingering from my bodybuilding days. So it was, it was like a, a big move to like come out about something like that after being the fitness bikini girl for so long.
1: Right. Yeah. I'm curious. Like, what was like, what was the reception behind that from your like original audience? Cause that's like a big, like 180 to do. And like, I, I commend you for that. Cause like, that's something I myself struggle with right now is like, posting about, you know, things outside of my realm of content. So that's like a huge switch. So like, was it a good reception where people like confused? Like, what was it? What was it like?
0: Oh, it was hard because I decided to still keep my like existing. Like I just, you know, changed my username from Mary sky fitness to Mary's cup of tea. And for a while I was, you know, when you're kind of like in pseudo recovery, you're like intuitive eating for weight loss. Like, I think one of my first ever videos was like meditate yourself to skinny like I was very much in that like spiritual like hijacking intuitive eating and making it disordered kind of mindset so when I finally had to like confront and then when I was I knew that my gateway to healing and to releasing the shame that I had around specifically bulimia and binge eating lied in coming out to my audience, even though it was like 90% gross old men who are following me for my bikini photos and maybe like 10% women who I used to compete with and maybe like another couple people who I knew personally, I knew that I needed to just like put it out there for myself to like feel authentic and to feel like this is what I'm doing now. And it was like my my way of committing. So when I put it, when I shared like the link on Facebook, it was super positive. Like it was mostly, you know, the mom of the girl I used to babysit for when I was 13 and like (laughs) some friend from high school, like even just yesterday, my history teacher from senior year of high school just commented on my post and was like, so proud of your journey, Mary. And that felt really good. But also there were people like, personal trainers that I used to be friends with at my old gym when I was competing where the backlash was like so severe like it it was like this woman in particular wouldn't stop hating on me for years to come she would just like randomly post about me like I used to know this girl and now she's all fat and fucked up like sorry am I allowed to cuss on your show yeah 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 (laughs) okay And I think the reason why I share this is because when somebody thinks they know you and they have a couple degree of separation, they feel incredibly threatened by you doing something outside of the norm, way more so than strangers and way more so than people who like know your heart and soul, you know? And it's because when I shared about how fitness was toxic for me and how it contributed to my existing body image struggles and also made them a million times worse and developed into this eating disorder. She obviously felt triggered by that because she saw herself in that, but that was a part of her that she wasn't ready to confront. And so for years, like she would like repost my things and like comment all these long paragraphs and everything. And it, yeah, it was mixed. Um, But at the end of the day, like it was, I I needed to do like that very dramatic, like I'm coming out publicly about this thing I've been struggling with for myself.
1: Yeah. That's so insane to me. Someone who would just like specifically like target you like that. It's just like, what what do you gain from that?
0: That... No, a grown ass woman with like teenage girls.
1: Yeah. Wow. So it baffles me no like it really should how did that like how did you handle that like internally I feel like because if that were to happen to me I feel like I would be in just like this I don't know this horrible like downward spiral knowing someone's like attacking me like this
0: I mean I was definitely activated it was a woman that I admired that I saw every day at the gym that she's like stunningly gorgeous like Colombian like long hair like just beautiful. And I always thought she had such like a pure heart. She was always so positive. And so it, it definitely like caught me off guard. And I don't mean to make this all about her. There were other people like that. And I think there are lots of people in your listeners lives who are still stuck in some sort of diet culture, whether that's like fitness is the best thing on this planet. Or weight loss is the only way to get healthy, you know? And I think there's a lot of people stuck in that and it makes it especially hard when you're trying to recover. And so this woman to me, I'm sharing about her because she's, she's so symbolic of like what it's like to be so deeply rooted that anybody who is doing anything else, i.e. Not dieting or like gaining some weight is like physically threatening to her enough so that she has to like spend the next couple of years bashing me online. That's, it. it's just so common, unfortunately. And the reason why I say it had mixed feelings is because like, aside from it being like a personal attack, like that I can get through. But one thing that I think about often is like, when I recovered, when I gained weight, I'm still in like a pretty average body. And it, makes me just like extra angry and just so like have so much utmost compassion for people who are going through this literally have eating disorders but nobody takes them seriously because say they're in a bigger body and like I experienced that to some extent because I was never like very thin that you know people were worried about my health but I think it's just on a whole different level of people who are of all shapes and sizes who could be doing the same binge purge, restrict, hate yourself cycle, but not be taken seriously and be harassed 10 x a hundred X more. And we see this so much in like the body positivity space. And it, it just like breaks my heart because I think we have to evaluate disordered. They're called disordered behaviors, disordered habits. You know, they're not based on what you look like. So Whenever I receive bash, backlash like that, I just think about how I actually have it pretty good, you know, um, and it's all because of like just having straight size privilege.
1: Right. You make you make so many great points there because like because I sometimes I will even get comments saying like, well, it's easy for you to say because like you're like skinny and you're in this like you know this smaller body. Um... So yeah, there's totally that, like, even though, like, in my past, I've been heavier in the past, like, I I do know, like, there are certain differences. I know, like, for example, like, there are people who I wouldn't who would never talk to me when I was heavier would come up to me and like start complimenting me. Like, wow, you look so much better. You look so good. Well, it's like, okay, well, how did I look before it's like, so you get things like that, and so that's like in your mind, you internally think like, okay, so that means being lighter is better. Like that's that's right. Like th- these thoughts I've been having, they're right because I'm now experiencing the benefits of it or what I thought were benefits, um, and that only just keeps you in this obsessed state of never being satisfied and like always wanting to get way less and way less, and it's just it's such like a draining and like exhausting cycle. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, you're 100 right. Like there, there are just certain people like we all have different experiences and all of our experiences yeah and struggles are valid a hundred percent um but yeah there are just certain people who like we can't we can't all know what someone's going through inside obviously yeah,
0: um, yeah. so yeah and that's yeah. the it's the byproduct by of like internalized fat phobia um because I think one thing that's tricky about eating disorders is that for for some people I would say it's more disordered eating it's like a byproduct of diet culture and beauty standards and I took things a little bit too far and I have a lot of fat phobia to unpack and a lot of body image struggles I think that's very much of what it was for me because I was in that for so long in my prime developmental years since I was 11 all through puberty adolescence that did spiral into what I would now admit to be like a full-blown eating disorder that is an actual mental health condition, you know? Um, and I think there's people on all sides of the spectrum. There's people who, um, are struggling a a little bit with disordered eating and not feeling great about their bodies. And then there are people who are in the type of recovery and have the type of eating disorder that is a battle every day beyond belief. And I I think that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately because I'm like, how was I able to like grow out of it and like essentially do it on my own without treatment, very similar to you. And then there are people I know that are so much older and struggling so much with anorexia and bulimia and like, they're just so stuck. And I, I don't have the answer to that, but I think like you said, we just have to acknowledge like. The wide range of experiences and how it's so subjective on like not just how you see yourself but also on how society treats you like a perfect example of people giving you more attention when you're thinner or whatever that is it's just also intricate and I think we have to like just spend time dissecting like those different layers at least for ourselves
1: Mm. that's all that's you nailed it that's all exactly what we have to do um and and unfortunately, like as much like we can post about, you know, all of our experiences, and we can uh, do our best to help, you know, decrease these habits and decrease these actions. But unfortunately, you know, disordered eating habits, eating disorder diagnosis, like they're, they're more popular than ever. And it's because we're in this world that is like literally surrounded by diet culture, like you see it everywhere you go, and you can't really avoid it. Um, so like it, as much as we can do, it it still is like really, at times, like just sad and depressing You think about how it's like, we can't ever like get rid of this, it feels like.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's very deeply entrenched. I think you can be very selective about the circle you spend time in. And I think like, you know, you become the average of the five people that you're surrounded by. And unfortunately, some people like if you're living at home with for me, you know, it's I'm very close to my mom. She's my best friend. We've grown together. But like for me, a lot of my struggles, like I, I watched my mom go through them, too. So it was really hard to escape that when I was living at home. Um, but I think after after high school, after college, when you find your people, you um, hopefully body positive people people from all walks of life that's what's the beauty of college Um, different identities and um, all of those experiences combined like hopefully having that kind of first-hand experience helps you just zoom out and and see like I think that's why I'm so adamant I'm like I hope college never goes out of style because that's where you're exposed to people you wouldn't otherwise be or like topics of interest even like your quirky professor who's passionate about like the environmental economics of you know carbon emissions like that kind of stuff you're like wow there's a whole different world out there that's not just about looking good dieting fitting into the popular kids at school or trying to not get bullied by them you know like it really just expands your perspective.
1: Yes, I 100% agree with that because like I said, I'm I'm currently on a college campus. I just finished up my degree and like there's so many people and so many experiences that like I would have never had if I didn't go to college. And like, cause there there were times where it's like during my four years where it's like, I almost like left. I like, there are just so many things about college where I just like, I didn't really align with, I didn't, you know, feel comfortable in. Uh, whether it was like social settings, like certain course material, I just didn't feel was worth it or things of that nature, but like I stuck it out and it's like I, I'm so glad I did because there's so many things about college where it's like, I would have never gotten this anywhere else it's like I, 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 you know, was seeing people talk about like, over this past year where it's like college is like the only period of time where it's like you are constantly surrounded by people your age all the time you live five minutes from all your friends everything is like in a walkable distance like you have grocery stores you have gyms you have all this stuff that is right there with you all the time it's like you can never really have that again which is really unfortunate because like i wish that was how it was all the time but it's like college is something that is so like unique and rare where it's just like you have to like fully embrace it because there are gonna be like really shitty times in college like because i've had really like college can be can be really lonely at least in my experience, I've had so many like lonely nights where it's like, what am I even doing here? Like, cause you're like, I went to college out of state. So it's like, you're away from your family and it's like, Mm -hmm. sometimes you just feel so like disconnected with like the lifestyle and what people do. Um, it's, it's so, it can be really draining at times, but like I said, it is like the the people I've met, the experiences I've had is so worth it. And I actually want to ask you, uh, I guess like as a way of advice, cause I just finished and now I'm in this period of uncertainty. We talked about this on your pod, but I'm in this place where it's like, okay, my entire life, I've been in school and I have structure. And it's like, I go to school, I come home and then I go to work after and I do these extracurriculars, whatever it may be. Now it's like, I just wake up one day and that's over. So it's like, now it's like, I'm not stuck, but it's like, now what do I do? It's like, cause I've always had the next step aligned up for me. Cause it's like, you go to high school, you finish high school, yeah. you go to college, you go to college, then you finish college. And it's like, okay, now what? So it's like, when you finish college, how did you navigate the post-graduation life?
0: Well, I'm I'm glad you asked because I think, and I'm glad you said everything you said about like college is a, a mix of experiences and it can be very lonely and, and hard and financially draining and straining and, and everything in between, you know, like I, I also want, it's this giving me an opportunity to say like my college experience was clunky. And sometimes I feel like I've, I've missed out on that, like, the opportunities, because I was always a little bit removed, you know, eating disorders will isolate you. And, um, I was always living far off campus with people that weren't my age. And there's a lot that goes into it, but I also hope that it gives a little bit of, uh, consolation to know that like, I started my freshman year at ASU. I moved to Canada for two years my first year I was like open studies because I didn't get to transfer as an international student. I was trying to pursue biochemistry thinking that I was going to be a doctor mainly because I was dating this Indian man and I thought his parents wouldn't accept me if I wasn't a doctor. So then I epically failed, tanked my GPA and finally switched to economics, which is something like I was really interested in and still am. And I'm really grateful that I found that. But then when my relationship fell apart and I was essentially left with nothing in a foreign country I was forced to come back home and move in with my parents and then do my senior year back at ASU this place that was so triggering for me my freshman year of college where like all my eating disorder stuff got developed and it was just like tough and then my last semester is when I you know my business Mary's Cup of Tea was blowing up so I was kind of more into that than I was in actually like being in school. So I graduated. I took my last final exam the day of my TED talk. And I took it online and I was doing my TED talk over in Colorado, which is where you want to go. So it's yeah. a very special place to me. I hope that you make it over there um, and hang out with our friend Jesse. Um yeah. so I I was there and I remember like I took the final exam and housekeeping knocked on the door. And my like proctor thing got tr- got flagged for like cheating because you know how you're mm-hmm. supposed to like film, like you, you pandemic right. college students know this, like yes. you're taking exams, yes. you're like proctoring and housekeeping like barges in. And then my thing got flagged. My diploma comes late. I'm like, I'm already like delayed and graduating was like very like stressful and also anticlimactic because then like my diploma didn't come in the mail, so I had to like fight for it. So I didn't feel like I fully graduated until like three months later. And then similar to you, I, um, finished school like in December and not may. So I didn't walk. Like I, I, I had like an interesting trajectory and I share that just for anybody who has any kind of like, not the typical path. It's totally okay. And I just made the decision that I wasn't, I wasn't going to do like an internship or like get a job as basically slave labor at minimum wage after getting a college degree and being so far in student loan debt for it, like that just didn't sit well with me. So I was like, okay, like, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out Mary's cup of tea. You know, I'm going to, I'm just going to like see where this takes me. And one thing I learned from a friend was this concept of NRA, not the National Rifle Association. We don't like them. NRA stands for next right Action. And that's something I, I, even before knowing the acronym, I feel like I always, um, tried to take it one step at a time because with my eating disorder and recovery, it was very much about like, this is the weight goal that I want to have in three months. And then forever after that. And it, I was always like living life so far in the future with college and grades and feeling like I had to have my whole life planned out. And so when I finally found peace with not just food and my body, but like this clunky college experience and this strange trajectory that I have with being a content creator and a business owner, I kind of stopped doing like these long-term goals. And I don't know if that's good advice because it's contrary to everything like capitalism teaches us about set one-year goals and three-year goals and then 20 years you'll have da 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 I don't know why, just I, it just doesn't align with my spirit because I know from firsthand how much things change. And they say, like, if, if you want to make God laugh, tell her your plans.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I remember hearing that a lot growing up. And like, it's funny, like, because I saw this TikTok yesterday of this like middle aged woman, and she was like calling all 20, 30 year olds, and she was saying how like there's no end game. It's like, like there's no end game it's like you you strive for all these different goals and accomplishments and you look so far in the future it's like well okay you get there and it's like okay now what Like you're always like looking for like the next thing but you're right it's like when you stop looking things long term it's like okay what am I gonna do for the next I don't know year instead of looking at the next 20 years um yeah actually I saw I, I keep referencing these TikToks I see but like I saw another one where it's like you can't it's impossible for you to like navigate your life in 10, 20 years, like just start with like two years, like just because that's too tall of a task to think so far in the future. And we talked about this on your pod where it's like, we look at our lives in five-year increments and it's like, at least I do Yeah. I look at my life in five-year increments. And like, it's crazy how much different my life was five years ago that I couldn't even imagine where I'd be now. And it's like, I, I'm i doing the same thing for five years from now. Um, so yeah, it's,
0: yeah, exactly. it's
1: absolutely insane. Um. And actually,
0: I actually, yeah.
1: I don't
0: know. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just I just wanted to say, like, I love TikTok for this. Yes. Just that it exposes you to people like a middle aged lady who's giving you advice to not stress. You know, who else is gonna do that for you?
1: I know, yeah, yeah. I would have not, I would not have gotten that experience if it wasn't for TikTok. So, yeah, as as frustrating as TikTok can be at times, it, it, I will say, like, it has given me so many like great little tidbits of advice. So, I love it for that. <laughs> but it's actually kind of segues into my next question for you. Um, so, we, you know, you talked about like these these long term goals, and like you 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 feel like at least for me too, I feel like you never feel satisfied with anything you're doing. Um, have you? When you, first of all, have you experienced that on social media where it's like, for example, it's like you you have this goal of like heading a certain number of followers. And once you get there, instead of celebrating it, you think of the next milestone and the next milestone. Because I know I've fallen victim to that. Uh, so have you? And if you have, how have you kind of overcome that?
0: Well, I haven't grown on social media in two years. So it's definitely been like a um, mental game because I was your age when I experienced this rapid growth on the internet, and things felt steadily uphill. Even though I didn't have a plan, I felt like you know at least I'm growing. And I think this is where I don't know if it's a ED brain thing, but I think a lot of brains have a tendency to latch onto numbers. So I often think about how I transferred um, my obsession with calories into like, say my obsession with followers. And over the past two years, it's been such a blessing that my following hasn't grown because it's forced me to confront that exact fact that like, it's not all about the numbers. It literally like the the community that I already have is so amazing and so worth nurturing. And there are also ways to grow outside of social media and the internet. And I'm, I'm so lucky that I was able to write uh two books but then of course that comes with like the number of book sales and like you know Amazon author central uh which is where I can kind of see approximately how many people are buying my book like they make it in this graph and it's it's hard when you see a dip like it definitely I can't say I'm past not overthinking that and not taking it personally or or feeling like I'm not doing well in life. But I think when it comes to the internet, I've been very deliberate on prioritizing the and this sounds so cliché, it hurts me to say it, but like really prioritizing the authenticity and the connections and like Usually I avoid my DMs, but if I'm feeling like I'm not good enough online because I've (laughs) lost 20,000 followers after posting something about being Jewish, like, does it suck and feel scary? Like, yeah, of course. But then I sit on my couch. I have a designated social media couch because I try not to like go on my phone when I'm at my desk. I sit on my couch and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to spend an hour or two answering DMs. And to most other business owners, they're like, that's a waste of time. Why would you do that? Just like create, produce, put out content and grow your followings and all this. And I like to just go back to like in one-on-one, like the the people, like these are real human beings that are like taking the time to message me. Like even just one person who does that, like that is just so, so cool and so big. And like, do I wish I had 10,000 reviews on my book? Yes. But right now, there are over 700 five-star reviews. Like, put 700 people in a room. Like, that's insane. It's just so cool. And no matter what, like, that number is, like, even if it's just one or even if that one is just you feeling proud of you, like, that's a worthwhile pursuit.
1: It's actually so crazy how much... I've said those exact same words to myself. Like I wrote in my 2023 social media goals, I said like specifically like to, to DMs, like to reply as, to as many DMs as possible. Because I said, and I wrote down, do you know how insane it is that somebody is messaging you, telling you how much they appreciate what you put out there? Like that is so insane. Just one person doing that. And like you said, you get hundreds, thousands of it. It's like, and then you imagine that in a room. All like, I would actually sit in some of like my lecture halls and be like, okay, this is like 200 people. And then it's like, oh my god oh, yeah. I have this times like five million it feels like on social media <laughs> like you can't like even yeah. the words like or you can't really even picture it so yeah I, I I'm i definitely prior- trying to prioritize that as well because I will get into this like analysis paralysis state on social media sometimes and we talked about uh before we started like you, you want to do you have all these you have all these ideas you want to do all these things but you just feel stuck and you can't actually do any of them um I exper- yeah. I've been, I've been experienced that a ton as a like, as a content creator, um, so yeah, I, I really try my best to like reply this year to reply to as many people as possible because it really is insane. They're taking time out of their day to send to say something positive about you, and they're looking mm-hmm. for you for mm-hmm. guidance, and they and they appreciate what you do. Because like I think of it like if someone came up to me in real life and said those same things, I wouldn't like ignore them. I would obviously like reply and say thank you. Like <laughs> um, yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. But,
1: yeah, so I'm it's a huge honor. No, it's it even seems- when
0: you said. Yeah. You were like, we watched you in my class and I was like, oh my God, how many people are? There? And you were like 70. I was like, oh my God, 70 people saw me. Like, but for some reason it doesn't click the same. It's just because you gave me a visual of like in your college lecture hall, in your college lecture hall, there are actual human bodies, young people looking at this. Like that's a different uh, different thought than, oh, there's so many people following me on social media. Nothing I do matters. Like it does matter.
1: It does. And did you have that same like realization when you're giving your TED talks? Like there was an audience, I'm assuming for that, right?
0: Yeah, there was an audience. And one thing about public speaking, um, and it's what I love so much about podcasting and, and this long term format, which is like another shift that I'm making this year is being a little bit less shy about promoting my podcast, because I think that, um, you know, the book and the podcast, like, that's my heart and soul. That's where like, you, you really want tools, like, please go there you really want to like connect like I, I hope that we can do that in a medium that doesn't feel so image driven and tense and like you know Um. so anyway I, at the TED talk one piece of training that I got that's carried me through public speaking is that when you are talking um to that kind of audience you have to trust that everyone there already loves you and they want to love you. And that's, what's so special about public speaking and podcasting is like, nobody's going to take the time to listen to this conversation unless they're already really interested in what Bobby Kazmaier has to say. Right. And they already want to learn from you and they already want to like soak up your wisdom and, and see who your friends are, who are the people you're talking to, you know? So, um, with my Ted talk, even though I, I didn't know everybody in the audience because it was a local event in Cherry Creek, Colorado, it, It it, people like took time out of their day to come to this to sit there in the audience to to watch TEDx talks, which is like a, a pretty reputable organization. So they already wanted me to win. And I think that that mindset is a little bit harder to apply on social media because I think we see that a little less like people kind of want to be like, gotcha. And like, <laughs> you know, even if it's not a full-blown cancellation, like people kind a lot of people are there to disagree, I think. Um, so I think that's why podcasting, public speaking, in-person connection, it's why I started doing uh, retreats is because I need like physical bodies to like hug and hold and talk to and get a response from and not feel like I'm just airing myself out into a vacuum
1: yeah I love all that wow so going in knowing that they already love you I so that just like solved my public speaking issue <laughs> um,
0: and I hope that helps with your podcast too like I
1: know you yeah. know absolutely it, it does it actually that makes so much sense um yeah so how did that like so were you nervous going into that TED talk and like because I, I I just feel like You know, you're going in because like TED Talks, like when I hear the word TED Talk, because I remember why I would watch a bunch, like when I was in school, like high school, college, it's like all these like feel like people, these are like geniuses. So it's like being in like that clump of people, like, were you you nervous? Like, what what was that? What was that like?
0: Oh, I was incredibly nervous. Um, Yeah, incredibly nervous. I think you should apply to do a TED Talk.
1: Maybe I should. And That would be so cool. It would be really cool. Maybe I will. I don't know. We'll see um but actually i'm curious this is like a ted talk question in general it's like so they have like a like a script not a script but like you read off something right you don't
0: no no okay so the main this is across the organization so every event has their own Oh, so everybody like hosts the event a little bit differently but the one thing that's that's not a Ted speech. So they do not want you to have it memorized because it's a Ted talk, not a Ted speech. So they will coach you into like, basically during my practice sessions, if I was running it through a couple times and things started coming off like the same every time, they'd be like, okay, you stop practicing. Don't rehearse it anymore because it's a a talk. It's supposed to be connecting. That's, That's I think how the organization grew is that they're, just a little bit more casual. And of course it's been taken more and more seriously and there are different styles of speakers. Um, but there's no teleprompter. There's no, sometimes there's a PowerPoint, but I don't, I don't remember if I controlled it or if they did, I think I did control it. Um, but essentially you're, you're supposed to be like talking very naturally.
1: Wow. Because like every single one I listen to, it's like, wow, this sounds so like organized and they're not slurring their words. They're not saying like, um, or uh, like it's, wow. That's big props to you then. Cause like that, cause you're, I think your Ted talk was like 10, 11 minutes long. So like, that's, that's a long time to be talking straight without a teleprompter or anything. That's awesome. Oh my God.
0: Oh yeah. No, it was, it was was the most amazing thing. Um, and you can watch like some Ted talks that are viewed less. And I think the ones that Get a lot of views like obviously those are the ones that uh feature very experienced speakers or just like gifted um people but you know there are people from all walks of life and that's like the beauty of the ted organization speaking on stage at a university for an hour is also really, really scary. And sometimes even more so because I think there's kind of this trade-off between like how much you care and how nervous you get. So if, if you care a lot, you're going to probably be really, really nervous. And that's, that's how I feel when I speak to young people at universities and everything. Um, Whereas like Ted felt very like professional and polished, and I was like, okay, like I'm gonna do this. It's like a bucket list. It's like a professional advancement. But sometimes I spoke at my little sister's high school, and I was sweating profusely. Like that was because I don't want to let her down. You know, like everything I do is for her, and like that was really special.
1: Right, like like different venues just mean a lot more. Like that, yeah, hundred percent. Um. So something else I want to ask you is, so on your social medias, you are, I mean, on Instagram, especially like you, you, you post a lot about like what goes on in your day-to-day life. Um, And I love all your stories and like all your content is amazing. Um, But do you ever experience a sort of pressure to post every single thing that goes on in in your life, including like, you know, the, the more sensitive kind of topics, because you have like a background of talking about like taboo topics like you know ed recovery things of that nature so like is there like that that pressure like do you put pressure on yourself to post something that in the past you would have kept to yourself
0: i think i used to not so much anymore um i've very similar to you like okay remember how my podcast you were talking about how when you were struggling your posts were performing the best yes because of like the vulnerability and and everything uh it was almost like the pain became the content and it turned into the platform and that's very much where i was at when i first started and i shared absolutely everything and i would lose sleep at night over um how do i share certain things and i still do that to an extent but a lot less um i think it started because i'm about to get married And I got into this relationship four years ago. When we first started dating, I was very protective about sharing his identity. So it took me two and a half years to share my now fiance's face. And most people, unless you listen to my podcast, like very intensely, most people don't even know his name. We have each other blocked on social media because I try not to like, you know, the last thing I want is for somebody to have a problem with me and then go after my husband or my family, you know? So I think that kind of trained me to just be a little bit more protective and selective over what it is that I share. Um, and you know, flip it on and off. Um, and another aspect to that is I mentioned my little sister, she's really important to me when I was first starting this, I think she was like eight, nine, 10. And, I was sharing her on social media a lot and people loved it, like absolutely loved it. Until this day, people are like, why don't you share your sister as much? Are you in a fight or something? And it's not that, it's just that she started being a little bit more open with me about how she's not as comfortable being in front of that many eyeballs. And it hurts her when I'm sitting on my phone while we're trying to watch a movie together. And I, I started just getting really tense about, how i am around my friends and family and and how it's affecting them even my mom she was like well i was cool with being on your instagram posts when you had 50,000 followers i thought it was cool but now thinking about 300,000 like that feels like a lot and different just vulnerable so um i think i think that's kind of like what what made me kind of shift into like treating it as a job and not in like a bad way like really is in a way that that gives me just mental freedom and gives me peace of mind that like at 6 p.m. I'm gonna clock out. I don't need to share every single thing I make for dinner. Like there's things that I do. My yoga practice, for example, like I never share my yoga practice because I'm not gonna be that girl who's filming myself all through a class. That just violates other people's privacy. So I think like all of that combined, I've I try to have a balance. I'm an open book, but deliberately holding some things back just helps protect me and my family and my mental health,
1: yeah, I think that's the perfect strategy to go about it. Like i I feel like I I feel like i'm I'm in that same boat as well, where it's like, I feel like anytime I'm gonna post something that has people, in my personal life in it, I like double check with them first. I'm just like, Cause oh, yeah, you're yeah. right. Like it's a big difference when it's being seen by just people, you know, to this influx of thousands of people. It's like, it's totally different. And, like you don't know what goes on inside, you know, uh, your, their heads and you, you want to make sure they're comfortable. And yeah, because, and there are also some things too, where I just like personally want to keep that to myself where it's like, I don't, I don't want or need everything, every minute of my life to be on the internet. Cause you want to hold things that are true to yeah, you. Yeah, Something. Yeah. So I, yeah but you're right. Like you want to have that, like that fine line of like, you know, being transparent, showing, you know, your life, but also being careful and cautious of like the people around you and things that, you know, you hold true to you. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I think that that's a great... It also
0: helps like, No. no yeah, right. sorry. You just asked such good questions that I'm like, I want to tell you all the things. <laughs> um, it also helps like <laughs> not, um, Like deliberately holding things back and like not always posting in real time, you know, like I started taking weekends off of social media. It coincides with the Jewish Sabbath, which I've never observed before. And I'm like, what's a way that I could observe this besides lighting candles. And I try to do just one day without social media, like one day without an influx of media consumption. And uh, sometimes I extend that into Sundays. So I take the whole weekend off like Friday night, Saturday, Sunday. And you know, past Mary would be like, oh, my God, like I'm missing out on on sharing all this cool stuff I did over the weekend because that's when I got dressed up and go out to dinner and, you know, have cool stuff to share, I guess. But, you know, what? I just save it for Monday and then I just do a weekend recap. And it's like I just tell myself, like, nobody's paying attention as much as I am. Yes,
1: absolutely. And like, I know. I think that's great that you take social media breaks. I'm trying to do that myself as well, because I know when I first started out and I first got this, you know, when I first grew my following, I remember I'd be so afraid to like take a day off because, you know, like when your job is on your phone and you're always on your phone, it's like, well, if I'm doing something that's not work related, I feel guilty about it because I'm on my phone anyways. Um, And you feel like if you take a day off, at least I felt if I took a day off, I would somehow like lose all my followers and every, all my engagement would just go to shit. And like, but you're supposed to take days off, like you have to step away for a second and, you know, unwind and just declutter for a day or two from social media and just, and you'll feel like, I don't know about you when you experience these, you know, when you take, when you take these days off, but you just feel so much more refreshed when you come back and you feel motivated and like, you just want to get back to it and catch up with the, your followers and your supporters. And so I think taking, you know, days off is, is perfect. I mean, it's like any job, like any job, you know, you get weekends off you get like you need like your entire life should not be your job so I think that's great you take those those social media breaks
0: exactly and it's really good to just sit with yourself like I I don't know anybody who takes social media breaks Um, even I cheat sometimes you know like sometimes I just gotta open the app my finger gets compelled I I try to delete the app but you know or I'll look at somebody else's phone or you know, it's Netflix, like whatever that is. Like we just have such an influx of media consumption. And for me, like waking up Saturday mornings and be like, what do I do with myself now? Okay. I guess I'll make breakfast and clean the house. And then you're like, okay, now what? And then I'm like, okay, I'll read a book. (laughs) And it's like, that's what I used to do all the time when I was a kid. All I would do was read. Like that was the only way I would pass time, read, play outside, hang out with friends. But um, I think, yeah, we're just living too much in that black box. And and I hope people take more consistent social media breaks.
1: Yes, 100% agree. Um, okay, so the last topic I want to bring up with you is your newest book slash journal. It's a, it's, it's a journal, more of a book, correct?
0: Yeah. It's a journal, but there's like excerpts, like a little paragraph or two to go with every prompt. So, um, it kind of like leads into it, gives you a little bit of food for thought before the writing question.
1: Yeah. My, my copy just came in the mail a couple of days ago and I'm on day three or the third day of the, uh, 100 days of self-love. Uh, so if you want to talk about what that process was like, like, did you ever envision yourself becoming an author like that? That's insane. You know?
0: It was so similar to the TED Talk that it was like a bucket list thing. Like maybe one day I'll speak on stage. Maybe one day I'd love to write a book when I'm old and cold. But I never thought the opportunity would present itself as quickly as it did. And this happened. Like I signed the contract for my first book, actually, also the day of my TED Talk. That was a big day. I gave a TED Talk. I took my final exam, basically, graduated college. Yeah, I was emailing this my publisher. Um like it was just like a very Yeah, it was like a wild. It was like it was December 10th, 2019. Wild day. Wild day. And we traveled to like three or four different countries that month. Like it was it was a very packed month, but one thing I like to share with people and I hope this doesn't come across as like braggy or tone deaf, but um I hope that this inspires people to take that next right action. When I reached out to my publisher, I literally sent an email at 11 PM because I saw this book at anthropology. My girls will know and love anthropology. I saw this book and I was like, wow, I, this is so cool. Like I want a book like this in a store like this. And I looked on the back cover to see who printed it. And then I just emailed them. And a couple weeks later, like I got a response and you asked me about a Ted talk, like, you just apply. like You just research TED Talks. I made a spreadsheet of places that I would be willing and could afford to travel to. So Colorado is right next to Arizona. I'm like, oh, they have a TED event every year. So then I just applied and then I got a call back and then I submitted a video and then I went through the interview process. And is some of that attributed to um, privileges that I hold or even things like having an education and and being well-spoken or extroverted or whatever, whatever that is like, sure. But there's also there's, there's a space for every single person, but you're not going to find that space unless you put yourself out there. And unless you just like send that email, ask for that thing, like worst they can do is not respond or say no, like absolute worst. And I'm very lucky that my mom drilled that into me from a young age because my mom didn't speak English. So she always made me ask for stuff at the grocery store because she was too shy to do it. So luckily that broke this like generational pattern that just makes me like a little bit more ruthless and being like, Hey, can I come over? And that's how I've made most of my friends. Like, can I come? And it's just, it's given such great opportunities and experiences, relationships, everything. So I've always wanted to write a book. And I think people really underestimate content creators like we are writing copywriting we're professional business people we're making videos then we got to be an expert in the thing that we're making Put photos and videos on it then there's like photography and staging and production and lighting like we know everything we wear so many hats
1: yeah and nobody teaches you how to do it you have to learn this stuff we have to teach this to ourselves
0: yeah, we figured this out all on our own. And I realized that one of the skills that like through, well, I always liked writing. Like I always liked writing class. I wrote papers in college, but like aside from that, I didn't have any formal writing training besides every single day, writing a long caption for Instagram and then maybe a little bit longer of a blog post. And you have to like strengthen your writing abilities by doing that. Even coming up with like the little TikTok text That takes so much time to know like what that hook's going to be, what the headline's going to be, the titles of these podcasts and all of that is like a very important skill. Like writing is going to take you so far in life. So anyway, I realized I wasn't that bad and I can portray an idea and um, I just pitched and they were like, yeah. And a couple months later I had a contract and then it led to another book slash journal. So I'm very, very fortunate, very grateful uh luck plays a big role in it but you have to be like prepared for the luck too you know have you ever heard that thing like luck is opportunity meets preparation
1: i have not but that makes a lot of sense now now that you say yeah. it out loud
0: yeah like you have to be putting yourself out there in order to get lucky enough to have the opportunity otherwise like if you're not if you're not seen or if you don't believe in yourself first and foremost like nobody else is going to either
1: Right, I, and yeah, that actually makes sense. Now thinking about it, like my own like journey on social media, it's like you're right. If I never put myself out there, I wouldn't have these opportunities. But at the same time, I also got a little bit lucky, like the algorithm hitting at the right time, and like you know, certain people see it. It's like so, yeah, you're right. It all, it all plays into I don't know your entire experience and how you progress on social media. So, um, but yeah, so if you were to describe your book "100 Days of Self Love" to someone who is how has no background of you and what the book's about how would you how would you describe the book
0: well 100 days of self love is um a micro journal so the point is that it's a practice of self love it's also a writing and journaling practice i know a lot of people know the benefits of journaling we all know that dopamine hit once you finally write out your thoughts. But the hardest part is like putting pen to paper, um, sitting with yourself, not getting distracted by your phone, finding the time to journal for yourself instead of checking off the to-do list items or answering emails. So for me personally, I feel like I've grown so much from like eating disorder recovery to body acceptance and then talking about self-love. But I was struggling with like, how does it show up in my daily life? And journaling has been like the number one, most transformative way that I can like build self-awareness and foster self-trust and observe my thoughts and see like where I can shift into maybe a little bit more positive or simply neutral self-talk. And I, through, you know, podcasting, hosting retreats, I do a lot of life coaching, one of the number one. I don't know, habits or skills, or it's like a subconscious process that I do is that my self-talk is geared toward questions. So instead of being like, Mary, you're awesome and fantastic and doing great in life. Like, I'm sorry, but that feels fake to me. What I do instead is I ask myself a question like it could be as simple as why am I feeling unworthy right now? Or maybe a little bit more profound, like what would help me build self-worth right now in this moment? Or how can I, or what if I tried, if this was easy, what would it look like? And so my, my self-talk is like, I think this, this happens once you've done a lot of therapy and coaching is you're, you're constantly like having these conversations in your head But the way you come up with creative solutions and creative answers and just like a better dialogue with yourself is by asking yourself really good questions. So I hope that that's like what the journal can do for people is just do a little inspiration, give people a starting point so then they can come to those answers and and listen to themselves uh, from within. Yeah.
1: I love all that. Like I said, I'm on the, the third day of it and I, I already feel so much better because I'm like, one of my goals too this year was like start journaling. So like your journal coming in the mail was like, it's perfect timing. Um, so yeah, I, I will hundred percent recommend this to anybody. I'll put the link to the Amazon link in the, in the description of this episode. Uh, so please go buy this, this journal. It like if you. I,
0: Bobby, you, you don't know how cool I feel just hearing you like endorse the book. Like I'm like this like famous TikToker that I've been following is like talking about my book. Like <laughs> humbling.
1: Oh my god! Oh my god! But um, but yeah. So Mary, thank you, thank you so much for coming on. This was a, a great conversation. Uh, you're a great person, and like I said, go buy her book, please.
0: No, oh, thanks so much. I really appreciate that.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bobby Podcast. If you found this episode relatable, if you resonated with it in any way, if it made you feel less alone, that's truly amazing. That's incredible um, because that's the goal of this podcast. I really want to make and help others feel less alone, in whatever they're going through. Because this this stuff is tough, you know. Like ED recovery is tough, and I never want anyone to feel alone in this because I know there were times I felt alone. So um, I never want anyone to feel alone. So if you Um, found this episode enjoyable make sure to subscribe to this podcast check out my tiktoks Um, i will leave all those links in the description i really appreciate you listening you're all the best have a great rest of your day